listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. But now, it's time for this week's interview. Here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Andrew Lowe is an author and book editor from the north of England. His writing has been published in several magazines and newspapers, including The Guardian, The Sunday Times and Men's Health. He's also worked in creative and digital roles with GQ, Vogue, Wired and Total Film. He writes psychological thriller novels and short stories. His latest novel, The Ghost, is the story of a troubled film critic who finds himself menaced by the victim of a childhood prank. When he's not working on his own words, he's a fiction editor who specialises in copy editing, but also offers developmental and structural work and copywriting. Andrew is my guest on this week's podcast. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Paul. Good to speak to you. That's a very interesting introduction. I've got to ask you then, what are you first? Are you a writer or an editor or a hybrid? Well, what I thought I was about a year ago, I think I was, was a writer first and an editor second. And... The, the you know the editor side the editor side is definitely caught up, so it feels it feels a little bit of both at the moment. And I kind of the great thing about being uh, about editing as well as writing is that there's a there's a symbiosis, and that when you you know the authors who I edit are definitely adding to my you know to my writing into my writing locker. You know, it's improving my writing craft, and. Um, and so I think I know I have friends who design cover design cover designers and they're also writers and um, which obviously those two things don't really feed into each other as uh, as naturally as writing and editing. So I find it I just I like to kind of sit in both camps really and I'm, I'm hope, hopefully over the coming years you know the, the more books I write um, that will start to kind of dominate. Uh, but at the moment editing is kind of like the day job because it's the thing that's paying uh, paying my way. And the writing books, I think, is going to start hopefully start to pay its way maybe in two or three books' time. We sound like we're in similar situations, because I worked at the BBC for years. You, you look like you've been you know, writing for magazines and newspapers for years, yeah. and, then, and then moved career. And I use the phrase bootstrapping a lot, that when you're <laughs> writing, you ain't going to make money out your writing straight away. So you have to have the equivalent, I guess, of a day job, something you can do to bring the cash in in the meantime. Yeah. That sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah, that was my idea. My idea was was inspired by an author called Joanna Penn, who I'm sure you, you're aware of. She's yes. uh, she's very, very focused on on her career. She's an independent author. She writes thrillers, and um, she's very very good at seeing the whole process. Um, this is a terrible word, authorpreneur, which I hate, but it's uh, it sort of does sum it up. It's a nasty little portmanteau kind of term. But meaning that you need to be see yourself as kind of the CEO of your own of your own business in a sense. And um, people talk about self publishing as, and they see the word self and they think, oh, do it all yourself. Uh, how good can it all be? When really, self for me is about you're the one who's who makes the decisions. You know, you it's almost like self actualization. And I think what's important is that you have. Um, have a sense of control over all these strands that you start to kind of wander wander into as soon as you get into this. I mean, as I said a year ago, I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a writer. I'm gonna write books, and hopefully people will buy those books. And over time, 
they'll start to cross cross promote each other and suddenly I'll find myself as, you know, pretty much as a professional author. And then, you know, you get into it and you realistically realise you need to build on more more strands onto that. So I'm looking at um, being an author and then an editor and also I'm trying to do some more and more public speaking as well, which is, um, you know, based on my experiences, uh, also helping other writers, coaching other writers and also um, introducing them to the idea of how, how an editor can actually help them if they work really closely with an editor um, because a lot of people, are, I think, as authors are quite afraid of editors in the sense that they think they're going to just come and destroy all, all their beautiful words, and that's not the case at all. So so for me, I see it as a, at the moment, it's like a three-stranded thing. I'm trying to keep it to three. That is, um, you know, writing, editing, and also uh, public speaking. I'm interested that you've spent so much of your professional life writing, mm. but but you haven't been caught by the fiction bug by the sounds of it, uh, until to later on. What made you transition from, from article writing to, to something much more sustained? Well, what happened was there was a theme in my journalism when I was a journalist, and whenever I wrote, uh, I would also I always like to write profile pieces uh, and rather than features about, you know, a thing, a topic. I would always much prefer to meet somebody, interview them, and then start to kind of formulate uh, a feature around that. And I realized because probably because I was more inter- interested in uh, psychology and the actual, essentially my degree, and I was more interested in, in what, why people behave in certain way, in certain ways and all the kind of things that people, the ways that, uh, you know, that people's pathways and, and they're based on their choices and all of those things. I thought I found that much more interesting than uh, taking a broader view of, say, uh, you know, a subject um, you know, horror films and what are the best horror films and why. That's very interesting, but I much prefer to kind of um, focus on the humanity of something, and, and that's that was the thing that always interested me. So fiction, whenever I would write features as a journalist, I would often have people people say really nice things about what I'd written, but I, I noticed there was a theme that they would say, this feels like it's a novel, feels like it's novel rather than journalism. And it was kind of feedback where they were sort of saying, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I like to think that they were kind of saying, you're a little bit wasted writing this kind of stuff, writing this kind of, like, <laughs> you're a little bit wasted writing this sort of um, formulaic, um, you know, intro fit to 1200 words, um, make sure you mention the film at the end, make sure you do what the PR says, all that kind of stuff. And the implication was that I was kind of um, straining at the leash a little bit. Uh, and wanted to kind of spread out and maybe work on work on writing that was a little a bit more poetic and a bit sort of um, a bit more broad, broader in scope in terms of the psychology and the humanity of it all. So so yeah, I mean, I, journalism taught me a lot about actually about discipline and structure in writing, which maybe we'll get onto later. But I think that's a crucial thing about planning any piece of writing is the the way in, the way out, what comes in the middle, how it how it's paced, all of those things. But um, I was always kind of keen to just tell stories more than anything and more more human-based stories. Have you found that having to write to order for so much of your life has helped you to to sit down and get the writing done? In my my BBC career, for instance, you know, I'd have to write show scripts 
very, very fast on intense deadlines. And I didn't think that I was a writer until I sat down and thought, actually, I've been doing this all my life. It's yeah. actually quite a bonus for me. Yeah, I think the, I think this, um, it's, I've lost my fear of writing. That's, that's the one thing that journalism has done for me. But I'm not sure it's particularly turned me into this efficient machine, I have mm. to be honest. And I think there's a, I, it's, I, I hear writers talk about, you know, the fear of the blank, the blank page and writer's block and all of these things. And um, I don't really believe in writer's block. I don't particularly believe in that. I think there's, there's, it's more of a fear of failure more than anything, isn't it? I suppose writer's block. It's more of a dressed up fear of failure. And um, you're kind of reluctant to get started because you're worried about the results. <laughs> the results might be perceived. So um, so it's more about confidence, more about building up a confidence to actually just dive in there and, and get it out. But I think journalism has taught me to to just to just get on with it yeah to a degree but also that's easier said than done as i'm sure a lot of authors listening to this will realize and um i read a really interesting piece by hillary mantle over the weekend i think i think it was in the guardian where she said um she said this idea of you treat writing as work and you sit down and you write for your set time and you make the words happen and you roll your sleeves up she said i can't do that <laughs> I have to it sort of comes when it comes and to a degree and I have my certain times of the day when I know if I try and do it it will probably happen better than at other times of the day if I try and do it but generally speaking I find it very difficult to be creative to order and uh, I think that's fascinating the idea that there are, I know I mean I have author friends who who are like machines are they you know they do just really hammer out the words and they turn they they seem to be able to work that way um i think i'm i hope to, i hope that i'll probably get better the more i do it um but at the moment some days are good some days not so much comes out that said then <laughs> what does a a good writing day look like to you how do you go about it well i think writing is is a it's not just actually the, about the word count. I think it's about little flashes of revelation that happen. I think I, I think writers are always writing in their heads. They're always, well, I am, you know, I'm always kind of perceiving scenes and visualizing things and thinking of little moments and, and dialogue and all kinds of stuff. And so the actual word count is only part of the process of writing. And um, But obviously you don't get a book without the word count. So it's, at some point you have to, you do have to write it down, but a good writing day for me probably looks like um, uh, I try and set a goal. So I went on a writing ret- retreat on Saturday for the first time, the first time I've ever done it. And it was a day, a whole day session. And for any authors listening who haven't done that, I do recommend it um, because what it did was it made me realize that um, it's not about uh, I can't do anything unless I have no distractions, unless I, there's nothing going on, unless everything is perfect and I'm in a laboratory. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's another form of procrastination and perhaps something that maybe leads to, some, leads to something that you may recognise as writer's block. Because it was like that. It was completely sterile. No one was speaking. No one was saying anything. It was totally quiet. There was It was like a hushed sort of atmosphere and there were just lots, you know, 20 different keyboards tapping away. And um, I just really didn't like it very much. Mm. I, li- I, I much preferred, maybe that's the journalism thing as well. Maybe it's because I'm used to kind of 
being, uh, you know, maybe in a bit of a crucible with lots of people around me and shouting things and talking and things happening. And I just have to make things happen regardless of the distractions. So um, I realized that maybe that wasn't for me. I'm sure that some authors do need that. But um, I just had my headphones on, got some music, got some music and just got on with it. And I found all the quiet and the hushed tones and the reverential idea that here we were sort of, you know, uh, magicking all these amazing words up and we needed silence to do it a little bit uh, strange, really. But, but yeah, to answer your question, I think a good day looks to me like if I, if I set a goal and I think I want to get to the end of this chapter or I want to get to the end of this part and um, uh, if that happens, then it's good. What I don't do is I don't sit there and think I must write a thousand words thousand words every day or I must write a thousand words in this period or whatever I don't measure it by words um, because it's just another tyranny isn't it it's just another thing that's hanging over you and um, it's just another thing that you can beat yourself up over if you don't live up to it and I much prefer to set aside chunks of time and say between these this these two to three hours I'm going to focus on writing and um, if people try and interrupt me depends on what it is if it's a an emergency obviously <laughs> i'll attend to it otherwise more or less nothing will interrupt me during this period and i'll just get on with it um and uh, i use the pomodoro uh, product productivity technique i don't know yes. that which is really how i find that really helpful um that's basically just taking you know a certain chunk of time and if you get distracted during that time you ignore it and you then you take a 5 minute break and you deal with your distractions and then you get back into your 25 minutes i found that really useful because con- because today we're obviously notifications chirping away all the time and lots of law distractions popping up and all kinds of stuff and I, th- I think that's what I didn't like about the writing retreat. It was kind of denying that that world exists. And what I would rather do is to live in the real world where those distractions and things are around me and are jockeying, you know, are vying for my attention. Um, but I've just discovered a way to um, put them to one side while I'm writing and then know that I've got a time coming up when I will attend to them in the next 20 minutes or so. I find that just helps helps my brain rather than just deny that they exist or turn them off or put airplane mode on or something. You were writing uh, mainly shorter pieces before you wrote your first novel. Yeah. How difficult was it for you to make the transition to something more sustained? And, and are you a, a pantser or a planner? <laughs> Have you meticulously planned it all? Yeah, I mean, the first, uh, with The Ghost, I wrote, I had an idea for um, what happened towards the end of the book and... Uh, what I wanted to do was to um, was to plot a, was to work on a structure so that the reader would get to the end and it would turn everything around for them and they they'd almost want to start turn back to page one again and start again with that knowledge. Uh, I don't really know where that came from. I just thought it was a little challenge I set myself because it was such a kind of key revelation. I wanted to kind of I wanted them to have a chance to read it again with that knowledge and to it almost it almost to be a different kind of read so 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 I kept the ambition nice and low for the first book but but yeah so I but I was starting writing I've written you know lots and lots of short stories and I sort of see them as short stories can be great in their own right but I do see them as uh, a workout to actually write something more long form and and you're working on structure and you're, you're making sure the story starts somewhere and goes somewhere and all the things that have to happen, I think. But um, what I did was uh, I learned about structure. I think structure is a key 
is a key thing for any novelist. Um, I think what I like to do is to set up a structure really carefully um, and know where I'm going and know where all my sort of themes and, and motifs and callbacks are happening and all the kind of little relationships and everything that I'm trying to get to weave into this novel um, and set that up like a scaffolding almost. And then mm. once that's been sort of erected, then I can just feel safe that it's there. And then I almost kind of go into pants mode when I'm, when I'm inside that structure, you know, I know I've got a note form version of what I roughly want to happen in this section, but I find that it's anything might happen. It's all, I'm always, it's always a surprise what, what eventually comes out, but I need that safety of having that structure around me. Do you use any tools to achieve this or are you straight into Microsoft word kind of guy? I do use a tool. I use, I use software called Ulysses, which is a Mac only uh, software. Um, I'm very Mac and very Apple minded. Um, the kind of you know the user experience of I find the user experience of the way uh, the way Apple design things just fits my brain. And I used to use a program called Scrivener, which is um, again a, a kind of tool for keeping all your writing notes in one place. Writing you know keeping chapters around, making it easy to move things around and shift and shift um, uh, timelines. But I just found that really uh, it was almost like it had been one of those things where it had been designed by uh, coders, not mm. writers. Because um, I, when I was when I was at Condé Nast and, and uh, in my some of my journalism work, I'd done a lot of work on user experience. I'd taken lots of courses about good user experience design, and I found that um, a lot of Scrivener, the way Scrivener operates, just sort of I had to like counting the legs and dividing by four. You know, I had to find find a way to do something before I could actually get on with doing it. But with Ulysses, I found I find it's been written really with a writer in mind. It feels like it's been written, devised, coded by writers, and um, the way that it's set up, it's really simple, and it lets you keep all of your notes, all of your research, all of your links, ramblings, videos, whatever, in one place. And then, and once they're there, it also makes it really, really easy to actually. Um, make the writing happen in a distraction-free environment. And it's, it's peacefully designed because it's set up to, it's as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. And I found Scrivener that you have to work to make it simple. That, that makes sense. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm a Scrivener user, but I use it because it's the best of a bad bunch. I've not heard <laughs> of that software. Uh, I'm not a Mac user, but right. um, I'm constantly receptive. I still haven't really found the perfect thing. So um, I'll check that out. That's interesting. Yeah, I, use that I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, oh, I'm not on a retainer, but it's good. It's, <laughs> quite, it's a really good, it works for me. I think you, you do need a Mac, but it is now available on uh, iPad and uh, an iPhone. But again, like I say, it's very, it's purely Apple at the moment, but I do recommend it. Well, you can actually, this is just a little minor geeky aside, you can actually get a, um, a Mac simulator for PC, so you can run a PC yeah. uh, like a Mac. So, so you know, all of these things are possible these days. Um, yeah, I mean, if that's, if that's the length you want to go to, uh, <laughs> it, is, it is that good. I would definitely recommend you have a look at it. But um, because it works, as I say, for me, the way a writer's brain works, that is, there's all kinds of stuff flying in from all different directions all the time. You need a way to collate everything. But then you also need to switch over into the bit where you start actually getting the words out. And I find it works really well for me. And I can go into a word processor as well. 
uh, I find that the way I work, I, I like to use Ulysses. It's almost like a PA, like a virtual PA for me when I'm when I'm constructing a piece of writing. And that it's good to know that it's there. It's good to know that that's the bit where I've got all my character sketches and my chronology. And um, and then I find that I write inside that kind of um, environment, and then I edit. I do my first draft, second draft, uh, in a word processor environment because I don't know. I feel that I've done. UC does all the heavy lifting for me in terms of the conceptual stuff and the, the logistics, and then I like to get the actual cold hard sort of words into a word processor. I think because I like to see it more in the way that. It, the eventual reader will see it, and that feels to me mm. like a word processor. I'm very font sort of faffy, you know. I like to kind of look at fonts and think, oh, that's a kind of typical font for a novel, and that's what it will look like. And, um, you know, I like, I always design, I always have cover design ideas and like to get cover design roughs before I've even anywhere near finishing a piece of writing because I like to kind of construct it quite organically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Ulysses is very helpful for that. Brilliant. I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes because, I, and I want to check that out too. So I'm, we're always receptive to new tips and new tools here. Um, I am going to get to editing. Don't worry. Uh, but there's so much to ask you about your author work too, as yeah. well. Um, you went down the Matador route oh. for self-publishing. Could you tell me about that decision and that journey? Um, that was because when I started, I had an agent interested in the ghost, and um, what I realised was. Uh, I didn't want to take so much time over it. And um, my agent, the agent was saying um, she wanted to be, wanted to to work with it, but um, was kind of being realistic about how long that process might take. And um, it was too long for me. I just, I ultimately thought I've got, I mean, I have about 15, 20 things, as I'm sure all authors do in various states that they want to write. And, um, you know, I've only got <laughs> a finite amount of time in which to write them. So, and I, I don't know, I don't know about you, but once I've, once I get to about two thirds of the way through anything, sometimes half of the way through anything, I'm, I'm on to the next thing. So, I, I, I thought that what, by the time it comes out, I'll be pretty much a different person, and I'll be, you know, kind of talking about it. So, I like the agility of self-publishing, and the idea of working with someone like Matador was good because they were. Um, People have been quite rather patronisingly, I think, call it assisted self-publishing, meaning that um, you're not a true, you're not a pure self-publisher unless you buy your own ISBNs. And you. This is not another level of snobbery I think sneaked into publishing. It probably is. I mean, but I think oh. you look at Matador and Silverwood and other self-publishers are available. But with Matador, I found what, what they did was uh, I didn't know anything. So I wanted to go with somebody who did know, who did know something about the industry I know journalism, I know magazines, uh, I know all of that, but it was the way books work and the way book publishing works. And I didn't want to have to learn all of that as well as trying to make my book the best it possibly could be. So I wanted someone to put some training wheels on, you know, and so I could learn in an environment where they'd also be publishing and doing all the things right for the book, but I would also be learning about how it worked. And um, they were great for that. And I wanted to, but now, you know, uh, now you evolve and I've evolved and I would, I think I'm probably going to go a different way for, the, for this, this thing I'm writing at the moment because I've learned so much. Um, now I see other kind of opportunities and, and other possible pathways that, um, 
Um, but that was definitely a kind of really a really good way to learn, a really good um, supportive environment. I'm going to burrow into some of the things that I've spotted on your website and some of the things that you've done because yeah. I, I want to ask you how you've done them. Now, yeah. one of the things I noticed when I was digging um, and stalking you online <laughs> was that you've got uh, you've got NetGalley yeah. reviews. Now, I've kind of you know they're in my my vision, but I haven't done anything with NetGalley. Yeah. Can you can you explain what that is, how it works, and how you get involved? With well, that? NetGalley was a was a from Matador, I mean Matador <coughs> works with NetGalley, so one of the uh, quite a few advantages in going with an assisted self-publishing service is that um, Matador are distributed in terms of print books, self-publishing is traditionally pretty challenging to get print books, to get Waterstones or whatever to sell your book, doesn't matter how good it is or how, how good it looks, the problem lies in the distribution network and places like Waterstones like to look at Who's put, who's distributing a book, and they want to make it easy to to buy it in and to you know to rebuy it if it sells. And Matador are connected, are very well connected in that way. So you're guaranteed that they're going to be able to um, get your book into bookshops if needed. If that's what you want. Um, and also, it's the likes of NetGalley, they they send out uh, a proof, a pre-published proof, and um, the point of that is that you. Is that then people subscribe to NetGalley and they read the book for free before it's published and um, they send you reviews or they send reviews that you can then use in promotional material when the book does come out, which is actually pretty useful. So it's just a way of, it's what the traditional publishing industry does in terms of sending out, you know, pre-proofs to journalists and hopefully to get some review quotes that they can then, they can then use in the finished article. And NetGalley, uh, uh, I, I mean, I was kind of insulated by Matador working with NetGalley on my behalf, but um, it's perfectly possible for purely independent authors to do the same thing. Yeah, I need to check that out. I know a couple of people now, I've talked to a couple of people on this podcast who've been through Matador. One of the things that particularly impresses me, and this is really hard if you're completely self-published, is the number and quality of the reviews that they get when they just launch their book. Yeah. And that's a devil of a job if you do it, it is, yeah. by yourself. It really is. It is. I think reviews reviews are a key a, a key part of, of independent publishing because you can write a brilliant book and um, uh, it can it can get out there and your mom likes it and well, <laughs> <laughs> good old mom. Yeah. Thank goodness, so much. But the problem is that you need to you need to have you need to build some kind of credibility outside of uh, your immediate friends and family who are all going to naturally be. Uh, impressed by the achievement that you've, you know, actually written a book. Um, um, but you need to uh, be, in, you need to get the people who don't care about that impressed by what's inside the book, by the content, by the reading experience. And that's, uh, you know, you need to kind of develop a pretty thick skin. I think that's the key thing as well, because there are people who are going to hate your book for the same reason that other people love it. That's something that you need to go into with eyes wide open. Um, and I think getting reviews helps with that because um, when you get your first bad review, it's sort of, I mean, doing this kind of doing this is almost like a series of waypoints. You know, you need to kind of box ticking. You need to you get to that point where you go, okay, there's my first bad review done. There's my <laughs> there's, there's my print book. I've seen it on the shelf of a bookshop. You know, and you almost have a, have a bit of a list, a wish list. And the more of those things that you get, you know, in the locker the kind of more evolved you become as an author, as a, as a creative, uh, you know, professional trying to get things out there and get people to take you seriously and you lose your imposter syndrome and all of those things. 
And then you realize the more you do it, the more everybody is basically doing the same thing, making it up as they go along, trying new things out, uh, you know, making mistakes. Um, and I know that everyone is, there's no one who's particularly apart from, you know, a handful of authors who are really far down uh, the journey and, and highly evolved. And even they will have to will acknowledge that it's so constantly changing that they have to keep on top of it in their own sort of context, just as much as people starting out have to as well. Um, but reviews are absolutely crucial, yeah, and whatever you can do to get them um, <laughs> within reason is uh, I would do it. I clocked a couple of uh, nice little marketing strategies, which I, I want to explore with you on your andrewlowwriter.com site. Now, I know you're in a transitional state with your websites at the moment, yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm, because sh- I'm sure you'll, Sorry. Yeah, yeah and, and you'll use the same principles, I'm sure. So I, I mentioned them now and hopefully they'll still be around by the time you know we, we release the interview. But um, we can talk about them anyway because I think they're really important for marketing. One of the things you've done on that site is you've got this embedded preview of your book yeah. from Kindle. Yeah. And um, how, how have you done that? Because I thought they were only available in the States, though. So. Ah, well, if you go to Amazon.com as opposed to .co.uk, yeah. uh, you will see there's... If you go to the page of a book, of your book, you will see down, I think it's along to the right, there's a, there's the facility to do that, but not on .co.uk. But even though it's Amazon.com, obviously, it doesn't matter. It still works on a website. So it doesn't look like that's available in the UK, but <laughs> it's the internet. So, it's, <laughs> so it just depends where you go to to um, to pull in that code, really. So do you, do you have to be logged in as an as the author or something? Can anybody grab that and embed that? <laughs> I don't know. I think you probably don't know. I think you could probably just take that and embed it more or less where you like, uh, which I suppose makes sense because then, you know, you, if someone wants to, you know, one of your friends wants to publicize you on their website, they, they need to be able to do that themselves maybe. I don't know. But I, I would imagine that you would just be able to take it and do what you like with it. I mean, because it's effectively just the look inside part of an Amazon book, I think is the first, um, you know, 10 15 pages or whatever and um it's just a kind of a fancy sort of version of that really just it's just kind of um sort of decoupling that from the amazon environment and uh, letting you use it where you want to use it it's really neat i'm going to do it because i haven't, I haven't seen anybody use it i was aware of it you know it's one of these things so many things that you hear about yeah. and i hadn't got to and i saw it on your site i thought mm, like that gonna do oh, that really good tip. Really nice. you can do it on your facebook author page as well that's a good tip you can oh really? yeah you can you they've now added if you go to your Facebook author page, um, you can add, you can now add custom tabs, and in one of those custom tabs, you can uh, have that preview sitting in the tab. So, so, you, so you can basically just have, you know, if you can, if you're directing potential, you know, buyers of the book onto your Facebook author page, they don't need to go anywhere else. They can just click on the tab and they can see the preview within the Facebook environment, which is obviously pretty useful. Good tip. I think this is about the first interview I'm about to cut short so I can get this work done because that's a great tip. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is pretty useful. I think it's probably, like most things, it has to. it's still a little bit beta, a little bit prototypey, but uh, it's worth it because just because of the amount of time people spend on Facebook these days, I guess, and there's a whole other conversation about which social networks you should focus on as an author, depending on what kind of things you're writing and everything. But I think... Um, you know, given the fact that it's there, if you have a Facebook author page and you have your own website, it seems to make sense to me to just to have people let people able to look let people look at your preview of your book without having to bounce off 
into Amazon. Yeah, I agree. The, the other thing I noticed about your page is that you specifically link out to Kobo, to Barnes & Noble, yeah. to Google Play. You're not just one platform dependent, which is the thing we have to be careful of as self-published authors. Yeah, I think you have to beware uh, everyone's reading and, and not assume that it's everything is about Amazon and everything is about Facebook and not all people have Kindles. Um, some people, not many of them, admittedly, <laughs> are, mm-hmm. are reading on Kobo. Uh uh, I mean, Nook, in the redesign of my site at the moment, I'm not linking out to Nook, I'm not linking out to Kobo, so I'm just focusing on iBooks and Kindle, mainly because uh, I'm trying to strip things back, really. I'm trying to pare things down and make things look a little bit less noisy. Uh, and uh, as we know, as you probably know, Nook is struggling a little bit at the moment, mm. and I probably imagine that Kobo will be subsumed in the the Amazon <laughs> fire at some point as well. So, I, I mean, I think it's important to be to, to make sure you have the facility for everyone who is reading on those devices, but you also need to be careful uh, that you're not devoting sort of precious time into high, in really, really minority areas and when you could be uh, looking at the places where the, the eyeballs actually are. And speaking of minority areas, have you ever made a sale on Google Play? <laughs> Good segue. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't look at Google Play very much. But it's a bit. It's a little bit of a bit of the Wild West, isn't it? I suppose. It's, I feel the same way about Google Play as I do about Goodreads, but I don't want to slag it too much. <laughs> but I can I just think Google Play. I'm not really sure who's reading books there, to be honest. Um, uh, I, it is actually a beautiful interface, but I don't think it. Well, I don't know who's buying the books because they ain't buying any of mine, yeah. uh, and they're not buying any of yours, obviously. So no, they're not. And you know, my sales come from Amazon, and um, whatever you, whatever you think ideologically about Amazon, without Amazon, I don't think self-publishing can exist in its current form. So I know there are problems with Amazon, <clears throat> and um, in terms of particularly with with uh, um, direct KDP. And the the issues around reading pages, paying authors by how many pages are being read, and the scammers that are involved in that. Again, that's that's a whole other podcast, really. Mm. But um, but yeah, you know, wherever there's money, wherever there's uh, then then you're going to get scammers. You're going to get people trying to take advantage, and uh, you know, parasitically. So, but Amazon, generally speaking, uh, it's an environment where self-published authors can just get their book get the work on there and within within you know minutes of it of them deciding that it's a finished article but it's getting to that deciding it's the finished article it's the difficult bit that you need to seek professional help and make sure it's as professional as you can possibly make it because there's plenty of you might have noticed there are plenty of terrible terrible self-published books out there <laughs> I have, yes. Usually the covers that give it away, isn't this, unfortunately? Um, now, this is a, a podcast for new and aspiring indie authors, so I, I'm really keen to keep it to the sort of basic stuff a lot of the time. Yeah. Rather, and, and you're doing something that's really important for indie authors which on your website, which is that you're building a mailing list yeah. by yeah. giving away a free short story. Yes. Uh, and that's really important, isn't it, for new indie authors? It is, and just with a health warning on that, though... Um, I'm not sure short stories work because I have to tell you, it hasn't worked too well for me. Mm. And uh, for me, what's happened is that over 
the last few years, um, uh, you you will be advised to give away something for free as a, a magnet to build up. Is it a magnet or a funnel? We need a, we need a marketing expert to, give, to explain these. It, it, it's a it's it's a reader magnet <laughs> is what you give away for free, and the funnel is the automated follow up sequence That's that you right, give of course, them yeah. afterwards. Yeah, so, so I've got a funnel. So yeah. the magnet really is a free book, a free thing, something of value, basically that readers will go. Ideally, showcases your writing or gives them a way into uh, making a purchase or converting them, as marketers call it. So it's really all about, um, and for me, because I'm so early in my journey, in the whole journey, I, you know, I only have one novel. I'm working on second, and I've written a couple of short stories. So I thought, okay, I'll give away a short story for people who sign up to my mailing list. And you know, it's been a trickle rather than the hoped deluge, to be honest. And um, but. I think the key thing is you you need to give away something that's perceived as with a little bit higher value than a short story. And then from authors I know who give away free books, uh, they're the ones with the with the impressive mailing lists. And um, but the principle stands that you know to, building a mailing list is important because we don't know where Facebook's going to be algorithmically. Uh, Twitter, all of these places, you have no control of them. They're not your platform. What you need to be doing is building your tribe, you know, on your own platform so you can communicate with them as and when you feel like. And um, no matter what happens in five, five, ten years' time, hopefully those people are going to stick with you. They're going to like what you read and they're going to stick with the books as you release them and they'll build and build and build. And um, regardless of, you know, what happens with Facebook or what Facebook deems they're going to let your fans see and what they're not going to see. That's not under your control. The mailing list is. So, I mean, I would say that's, that is an effective strategy, but you're going to need to give away something uh, of higher value. I did toy with giving away an audiobook version of the ghost as a free thing to kind of get people onto my mailing list. But um, again, high effort and expense. <laughs> and mm. I'm not sure it's quite right in terms of the ratio. So, but um this is why series authors, as you, as you know, are successful is that, that what they do is they write a series and then once they've written the second book in the series, they just give away the first one for free. Um, and that's high value. It gets people onto their mailing list. They, you know, they take in the mailing, the email address. And then um, once hopefully all the people who bought that book, uh, who've got it for free, will then go on to buy, buy something and buy the second book and then the third. And then suddenly, you know, you, you started to develop an audience. Well, I'll reveal a little bit of personal pain here because I was an internet marketer before I, I did the okay. authorship. And, and I built a mailing list of about 25,000 people as an internet marketer. And I found that pretty straightforward, you know, using the, the principles. But as an author, I'm really, really struggling to yeah. build a mailing list. I know all the tricks yeah. because, because I've done it before. But um, I, I think the difference with as an internet marketer, the hunger was different because effectively you were showing people how to make money online. Yeah. So there was a hunger there. And, and my perception of being an author is, is that, well, it, you know, it's, a, it's another free book. And that unless I already yeah. like the author, that initial hunger isn't there to sign up to the list. Well, there, and that, that's what I think the problem is. There are a lot of free books around, Paul. So yeah. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? It's the kind of... Which may or may or may be a heap of rubbish. You know, you know that's the thing, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So I think it's a kind of an arms race, isn't it? It's a kind of an it where... Maybe five years ago, giving away a short story would have been fine. Um, now, giving away a free book, some people go, yeah, free book. 
<laughs> and who knows what it'll be in five years' time. You might have to give away a free box set. So it's kind of it's difficult because it's so because it whenever it's when it becomes so easy to publish, um, you know, you are gonna get a hugely saturated market of, of free books of, of series of and it sometimes can get difficult to distinguish between what's good and what's bad so the thing that a lot of the key people who, who have you know the alpha kind of indie publishers say is the one the main thing you should focus on is making sure the books that you are writing are their own or adverts for you know the future books or, or make people want to buy more from you making them as good as they possibly can be rather than spending a lot of time on these magnet funnel strategies when you're so early on in the journey. I think the magnet funnel business probably works much better for authors who are a little bit further down the line. But you do have a chicken and egg problem, don't you? That's the thing. I think it is, yeah. You, you haven't got an author platform. In, in internet marketing terms, you see, we used to sell the what's in it for me, yeah. and that was easy because what's in it for me is you can make money online. Of course, people were hungry for that. Yeah. But, with, but with a book, you know, here I am, an unknown author. What's in it for me? Well, possibly not a lie, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, that's what I think. That's my perception of it, having sort of done it one way successfully and struggling with the other way. I'm, I'm looking for the magic the magic bullet um, yeah. to, to get people to subscribe. I, I don't think. think it exists. I think it's more about um, the way that you use social media as well. I mean, uh, you can use Facebook ads. Uh, you can now use Twitter quite in a quite clever way to build a mailing list. And in, in that um, I think the, the key thing with social media is it's what, as you just said, it's what's in it for me. And the way my Twitter strategy is very, has been the main thing for me in building an audience. I'm, I'm sort of busy building an audience on Twitter and, and I'm hoping to convert those into mailing list people soon because what I'm doing is trying to give people good articles uh, from, from feeds, from websites, good author writing sort of tips, articles, and also trying to be as useful as possible and, and sort of adding to the things that, uh, you know, the things that they want to kind of look at and want to read rather than just say, please buy my book, which is what a lot of authors do on Twitter. So trying to get to be perceived as someone who is worth following because of what you're actually saying and what advice you're giving out and what advice you're linking to and things, rather than saying, um, hello, I'm, I'm an author, please buy my book. Well, yeah, you and thousands of other people, I'm not interested. So it's trying to build up a, a kind of reputation as being more than just a another author, I think expert positioning is what they call it in internet marketing you establish yourself as the go-to expert and uh, and you do share some great content by the way on twitter so i yeah. thoroughly recommend people check you and, out on yeah. twitter that's, i mean that's the way it's really there's there's too much content obviously everyone knows that there's too much of everything but um which is why you need filters and one a good filter is you know the the quality of who you're following and if you're following people who are doing that a lot of that filtering for you then um be the filter. <laughs> yes. Try and be the filter for people. If if you can do that, then they will see you as someone worth paying attention to. And hopefully that will ultimately, if you can get enough of those people around you, start to convert into sales and into, you know, into success as an author as well. Now, I'm sorry it's taken us this long to get to the, to the, the day job, you know, the bit that, that directly pays the bills, okay. the, the editor. <laughs> and that's how I encountered you in the first place. I encountered you at an event called the Author School. Yeah. 
And we've talked to Helen Abiola uh, on the podcast about that. It's a, a, an event that I recommend. It's a brilliant, brilliant event for you know, new authors. Mm. Uh, you were doing a talk there, which was great. Really appreciated that. Yeah. It was about the day job. Um, and one of the things that struck me about the way you did that, I've had some bad experiences with an editor. And right. you were like soothing my brand and mopping my brow <laughs> because you you were very reassuring about the editor experience yeah uh, presumably you've found people in a similar position you know who are a bit scared of editors i have i do have the strange thing where i've 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 uh, edited quite a few authors now and i there's a little bit of a theme i'm not sure if it's worrying or not and uh, i tend to get authors come to me when they've had bad experiences with editors <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. They... Become a home for damaged authors, have you? It's something I, I like know, that. I don't want to get into that, <laughs> to that sort of <laughs> reputation of the guy who you go to when you've had a bad experience. But, but you're very approachable, you see, and that's, that's good, I think. I guess so. I mean, I think what I try to do is, is to see editing as a collaborative thing. And my creative talent whatever it may be if i can bring that into the book as well as my ability to you know make what's there better then uh that you know working with an author in that way i think will lead to a much better product at the end of it and so um i I really i much prefer to work with authors collaboratively and not think of it as um okay just shovel over the words i'll sort them out uh and here's my bank details thanks very much you know, I'd much rather work a bit, work on a project, think of each thing I work on as a project. And I want the author to walk away at the end um, feeling that the book that we've worked on is just infinitely better for having worked with me. And also that the next book they're going to write is going to be, they're going to write it differently because of their experience with me. So, you know, that's the kind of key. I, you know, I want testimonials. I want happy sort of customers, but happy clients. But uh, I, like I said earlier, it's symbiotic for me. It's, that's also, they walk away hopefully happy that they've kind of evolved a little bit and they've got a much better product. And also I walk away thinking I've learned something as well because I'm a youth football coach uh, and I find that coaching, editing authors is very close. Lots of things are very close to the way that you develop players as um, as a coach and that, you know, you get a lot, you tend to have players who are very, really talented and technically very talented but um, they need to uh, find a way to express themselves in a way that's practical for the game, uh, practical for the way an actual game actually works, um, as opposed to, you know, doing lots of uh, keeping up these and tricks and, and stuff mm. and things. So for me, there's a way of work, you know, the way I work with young players is getting them to um, develop the technical side, the basics, absolutely. But also, there's a thing I think of called gamecraft, which is where when they're in the in the state and in a match situation, it's chaotic, it's fast, it's it's uh, they have to they have to think practically as well as technically. So it's it's all about an author having uh, excellent technical uh, talent ability, uh, writing ability, but also looking at the practical side to it, the structure the reason things work, the reason things don't work, whether things are needed here, how much of this you should put in, how little of it you should put in, depending on the situation. And um, it's not always true that you say never use adverbs, never use, never do this, never do that. Sometimes uh, it's more about working out whether that particular part of your book 
uh, it will be improved, will be served by using this particular technique or this, ta- you know, this uh, this type of writing. So for me, you know, it's, it's a lot of coaching involved in working with authors. And um, I like to be, you know, I like to be kind of there, as I said at the beginning of the talk, the author school is a, it's a, it's a multi-headed role. It's not just making sure that um, there are no typos and the writing reads well. It's a coach, you know, stroking the odd, stroking egos, dealing with creative wobbles. And these things always all happen with creative people. You know, you can sit down one day and think you've got something, you're onto something. And then the next day you can look at it and think, what am I doing here? Does this make any sense? Is this, is this rubbish? And so I think it's important that you have somebody like that as a, as a kind of wingman when you're going through that whole thing. Yeah, my bad experience entailed me feeling like a kid back at school with a teacher looking down their nose at yeah. me uh, disapprovingly. And, and you, you kind of put your neck on the chopping block, I think, when you write, in that you're exposing this work to so many people. Yeah. And you've got to have a sympathy for the, the bravery that's involved in that. Yeah, and, I do, and I think it's about getting your head into the fact that it's the work that's being edited uh, not you that's being criticised. Yes. I see it as what I'm learning. You know, I see it rather than, as you say, your bad experience is about someone being really proprietorial and standing over you and, and writing see me on things. But I don't see it I don't see it that way at all. I see it collaboratively. I, I see it much more as um, I'm going to bring my expertise and my experience um, and make make your book as good as it possibly can be. And I'm going to learn something from that as well. That's Like I said at the talk, it's like a record producer and a band. The band brings the creative vision, the creative raw materials, and it's up to the producer, I think, to find the best possible version of what they're trying to do, of their own voice, of their own expression. And it's not up to the producer to do it the way they would do it if they were making the music. It's not up mm. to the editor to, to get to turn a book into something that they would write if they were writing it. That's, there's a name for that. It's called ghostwriting. So it's kind of, it's very much quite a high tensile sort of collaborative experience. And um, it can, it's, you know, there are egos involved, it's personal, and you have to be sensitive to that, while also being careful to not be too touchy-feely and, you know, letting authors be as self-indulgent as they want. I'm really, I'm clear about that. And I think the better relationship you have with an author, the more you can go into those dark places where you say, is this a good way to express this? And they'll go, but I like to express it that way. And I go, yeah, but you do it 50 times throughout the novel. So maybe you could, maybe you need to work on that. And if you're in a good place in terms of the relationship you have with the author, then it's easier to do that. And therefore they will improve. My my conclusion from this is that a good editor is like a dentist or a hairdresser. <laughs> when you found one that you like, you're going to stick with them for life. Yeah, and that's the idea with with self publishing as well. Like I said, it's about you make the decisions. And I have I have this thing of building a crew. From when I went with Matador, the crew came with the package. You know, there was an editor, in house editor, there was an in house designer, there was uh, and but as you become, depending on how independent you want to be then you can build your own crew by making your decisions. Now, there are some filmmakers who, Woody Allen, Coen Brothers, uh, Scorsese, who use the same editors, they use the same you know, director of photography uh, because they work with them really well because they've got a relationship and they've realised that um, what there's no point in when you're trying to do something new, spend months shopping around for someone who might be suitable in terms of that, you know, in terms of those roles. So 
you're right. Once you've got a designer who you like, once you've got an editor you like, um, <laughs> you know, I would say this, but it's better to just keep going back to that person because you're you're developing, you know, you're improving and you're developing and evolving with them as well. I noticed that you're listed on a, well, I say it's a fairly new service. It's been around for a while now, Reedsy, a, a site called Reedsy. Yeah. Um, and this is a really interesting um, site because it helps people to find people just like you mm. who are pre-vetted, I think, aren't they, on Reedsy? Yeah, we talked about the filter thing before. And the other thing about self-publishing is that just as you can go onto Amazon and you can see all these books and, uh, you know, there are lots of fantastic self-published books. Um, but there are also lots of books that shouldn't be there, frankly, because, you know, they're just there because they can be there and um, they're not very professionally produced. They're badly written, they're poorly edited, poorly designed covers, and um, they just haven't been through that process. And you, just as a potential, if you're a reader, you need to filter some way to to distinguish those books from the good books. Usually... That's why I always say make sure you use top professionals to make it indistinguishable from a traditionally published book. That's the filter for readers. But for authors trying to find professionals, um, Reedsy is a great filter because all those people on there, including me, are they're, they're not just people who've fallen, off the, fallen in off the street saying, oh, I'll be an editor, I'm a designer. They're people with professional you know, biographies, credentials, who um, know what they're talking about and are are there because they've because they have a history with the topic they have a history with the discipline and the, with the craft and um you know the the people who run Reedsy um are not are very select are selective they're not letting uh, anyone join and some services out there similar services being careful not to mention any um are maybe not quite so selective and reads 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 are one of the better ones definitely they they absolutely um they absolutely know the background i mean i think stephen king's editor is on reading really oh that's yeah so i mean i'm i've no idea how much he charges (laughs) but but, (laughs) i'm not sure if it's it's male female but it's it's um the people on reading are professionals and um you need professionals if you're going to do it yourself you know, if you're going to write the book yourself, you need professionals to help turn it into a publishable book. And you're a member of the Society for Editors and Proofreaders too. Yes. Which puts you through another filter, I guess. What do you have to do to, to become a member of that? Well, that's interesting because you can, that's not so difficult to become, uh, but you have to, I think that you have to do some, I remember doing some tasks, it was a couple of years ago. They give you, there's actually live spelling and, and uh <laughs> spelling and grammar tests that you do oh, no. online yeah and you can't and you get a certain amount of time to do them so you have to do them live and it takes i don't know five or ten minutes and then you get a percentage rating and you get told how how high you are i think i was like number one in the world of <laughs> spelling oh nice one <laughs> i mean so it's one of those things where you just go in there and they you get like four options for spelling words you know and you just have to select the right one and you get a limited amount of time to do it it's like a school nightmare that is. It's, it is a bit of a, it's a bit of a boot camp yeah and and that's that's one way i think that's on a service called upwork as well there's loads of places that uh, you can find freelance professionals and they use various filtering techniques but yeah all of those places i think generally speaking read you need to find look at 
look at some testimonials. That's the key. Look at people who have worked with this person. What do they say about the experience? That's probably the number one filter because authors uh, are going to give you the un the unfiltered version, aren't they? So you, you, I've had, I'm sure the editor you worked with before, I don't know the circumstances, but maybe they've learned something and they've improved and, and um, they've, they'll, they'll have some better testimonials. But um, if someone said to you, would you recommend this editor? I presume you wouldn't. <laughs> No, I wouldn't. No, sorry, I wouldn't. No, it was a bad experience. Yeah. And I, I'm pleased to say that I, you know, I haven't now found somebody who, who works on, on the books. I'm extremely happy, yeah. so happy that when I was self-publishing the last one, I thought I, I'm almost tempted to give her a credit in the book because I feel like, as you were saying, it's been such a sort of collaboration to get it to that stage. That, yeah, that they've always got a joint credit. Yeah, I mean, you can you can mention them in your in your in the acknowledgements. You know, there's a kind of I've had authors mention me in the acknowledgements. That feels really nice. And so it's just really, I don't really expect anything more than that. It's absolutely the author's book. It's their, their, um, it's their work. All you're doing is uh, to, to add another to our crowded list of analogies, like the rally driver and the, the navigator. You know, the navigator is advising you on the turns to take and when to make them and how to make them. But it's absolutely ultimately the author who's in the driver's seat and can decide what to do and when to do it you can reject everything an editor suggests if you want to but um but yeah it's it's the author's book and it's it is nice to get acknowledged well you're a busy guy what what are your next plans then you're working on the next book how long till that comes out and where are we up to with that uh, i'm working on this book it's a uh, quite a commercial uh thriller quite a high concept thing and that's going to be Hopefully it'll be out this year, and um, I still haven't decided how to publish it yet. My feeling is I'm going to go raw, pure indie, and try it just so I can just to see how that feels, so I can learn, you know, right down to the roll my sleeves up and buy my own ISBNs and all these kind of things. Because mainly because I know I'm going to learn so much, and my my thing is I just want to learn. I'm really I'm just a sponge. I'm I'm absolutely open for for everything, and so I'd rather sort of have a go at something and not and fail and make a mistake and learn from that than sort of leave it to somebody else and and because then if you're not happy with the results it's someone else's mistake i find that kind of quite difficult i'd rather you know not obviously not disastrous mistakes but i'd rather just make a few missteps myself and on the pathway to finding it the way i want to do something so I think I'm probably quite independent-minded, and I do have an agent interested again, uh, but I just think I can't, find, I can't find it too difficult to let go of that control, that creative control. And um, I found a designer who I really like and an editor who I like. Um, so, so yeah, I, my feeling is I'll probably independently publish it towards the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, and then I'm working on a series as well, um, with of three books and each book is going to be set in a different place for reasons that become clear. So, um, cause I want to try that series thing and, I'm, you know, try and try something, um, a little bit more, uh, consecutive rather than just lots of standalone books. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a busy time, but my, my job is to try and balance the writing with the editing and make sure that I'm doing both as good as they possibly can be. And I, I heard, Rachel Abbott, who's a great, uh, a really good self-published author, and um, she's, I heard her speak at the London Book Fair last week, and um, she, someone asked her what advice she would give to authors who are just starting out. Um, I know that's obviously the, the audience of this podcast, and 
she said a great thing. She said, don't give up. That was that, it was that simple. I thought mm. that's lovely. She's purified it to three words. And because there are many, many, many things that might make you think, forget this. Let's get, let's get another day job or let, let's do something else. Many, many things along the way that will just feel like people are trying to stop you from doing this uh, or that are dispiriting, you know, that, that particular, particularly vindictive review or something that just doesn't work and you don't know why it doesn't work. And, but there are always professionals who are of a similar independent mind who you can turn to or help you out. And the great thing about independent publishing is that there are lots of people who are, have been through it all who are absolutely open and willing to help you. And there's a lot of solidarity in, this, in the culture. And um, I noticed that on Twitter there was an author who's, I think she traditionally published, and it said in her bio, uh, I, I follow back, but I don't follow other authors back, the opposition. The, the oh, no. It's the enemy. And I really? thought, you know, that's the kind of, that's the sort of attitude that um, I don't think you're going to get anywhere with because you need to be completely open, ready to learn, ready to share your own experiences because that's the way it comes back to you, I think. That's the way you will find people willing to kind of share with you as long as you're, you know, generous with, with what you've learned. And um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. It is, it is revolutionary, isn't it, traditionally? I suppose it's the work of seizing the means of production. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. And so it's – but now it's all about uh, – improvement refining working on making those products as professional as they possibly can be and there's lots of great people out there who um who are, who are willing to help you're sharing some great content online uh, where can we find you uh, online on social media and your website uh twitter is uh, at andyload99 uh and um, my website at the moment is andrewlowwriter.com and also I have a website for my editing, which is andrewloweditorial.com, with two E's in the middle, annoyingly. <laughs> mm. And so what I probably think I'll try to do in the coming months is to make it, just try and get an andrewlow.com, simple, simplify it, and, um, you know, just redirect everything for people who go into those other sites. But, yeah, so andrewloweditorial.com, andrewlowwriters.com, and at andylow99 on Twitter. Fantastic. Look, I really enjoyed the talk at the author school. Keep doing that because that's going to inspire more people to, yeah. you know, to get an editor and do it. Uh, you need to keep that message coming. I'm hoping to. Yeah. I'm, like I say, I'm always trying to refine it, simplify it. I'd like to try and make it a little bit more. So it involves the audience a little bit more. So it's a bit less like a lecture, uh, more of a kind of a little bit more interactive without being too, you know, without being too sort of high maintenance about it all. But, um, I saw a talk by someone who, who involved who got an audience, got people in the audience to to make their um, to come up with a film pitch synopsis, and it was someone at the author school talk towards the end of it. And um, I found that quite satisfying to be able to sit there and, and actually do something rather than just listen to somebody talk. So yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do: try and make it a little bit more interactive. I also have half an idea to turn start turning the talks into a non-fiction book about how authors can work with editors and, and um, that whole process. So ideally teaching other editors about how better to work with authors as well. Fantastic stuff. Well, look, thanks ever so much for your time on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or 
You can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. If you're new to self-publishing, you might also like to check out selfpublishingacademy.com, the step-by-step guide to getting your manuscript off your hard drive and into print. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.